What do you guys what do you got going on for the for for Thanksgiving? Uh Thanksgiving. Probably have family over. Be our you know, third Thanksgiving in our in our crib. Um, What's crib? The crib that I've never been to? Oh Ooh. yeah. Well you can cut <laughs> <laughs> well, you're more than welcome to come this Thanksgiving. Bring your family. I appreciate that. What's up, everybody? This is Big Pep, and welcome to another episode of Pep Talk. You got myself, Mr. Big Pep. You have my co-host, my number one guy, Mr. Juan Ramirez. Yo. Yes. Juan, what's going on? How you doing? Dude, I feel like we're on a rampage, bro. Literally... We took a month off, and then now it's like podcast after podcast after podcast. Yeah, it's crazy. And, um, of course, this couldn't be done with uh, without Persistence Culture, their uh, their support, their sponsorship. So, yeah. uh, if you guys want to check them out, check the link. Also, too, Big Dogs Only merch is still on, still for sale. And also, too, we're going to be doing a Black Friday drop. So, it'll be a shirt and maybe some new merch coming out. We shall see. We shall see. Ooh. We shall see. Oh. No, fuck. Yeah. Damn. There we go. <laughs> All right. So now for the uh, for the OG listeners, you guys have heard this podcast before or this guest before. Um, however, we had to bring him back because he actually uh, about a actually in nine days would have been a year. He took a chance on us and he let us interview him. He came to a studio that was literally the size of i don't know a sink it was just so tiny um we didn't have a videographer we didn't have a nick brush it was literally me and my iphone you weren't even i wasn't even part of you it, weren't yeah. even the, the, a part of it you weren't even yeah. the co-host he was actually um i think i was like the first yeah he was he was guest he was then. guest number three yeah now he's guest number 30 oh wow oh, wow Damn. ladies and gentlemen for the people who don't know about this gentleman, he is one of probably one of the greatest basketball scorers of all time in Ventura County, multiple 40 point games. Uh, he's also a NBA trainer developer. He's also a huge, huge, huge mogul in the uh, AAU coaching spotlight. He is the director of Redline Basketball. Yep. And I mean, he swagged out. Been my boy since we were like 12. So everyone give it up for Mr. D. Pinker. Appreciate that intro, man. Wish you could say it again. <laughs> so it's been a year. So what has been the biggest change from then to now? Then we'll get into, you know, the background and all that good stuff. Um, the biggest change in the past year was just uh, continuing to to grow in you know all aspects of the business, uh, growing relationships, friendships. Uh, it's just constant growth over the past year. Um, that's basically been it. Just just focusing each day on just you know moving forward on you know the goals that I've set. You know, and you said it's already been a year since the last time. So man, it's already. A, Oh, November 1st today. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the year's pretty much over. But, um, you know, that's just all it's been. Just, you know, constant grind, constant growth, constant uh, new goals. Heck, yeah. So now it's time for us to get back into or get get get, get a story, get your story told. Um, 
I've known you since we were about 12, 13 years old. We started playing a travel ball against each other. But what what got you into sports? Um, I know you're born and raised here in Austin, California, but how did you get into the sports world? Who 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 uh, curated that in your mind? I know you were a basketball player, football player, baseball player. How did, where did it all come from? Uh, just my dad. My dad had me active from probably about four years old, five years old, signed me up for T-ball. I mean, that was actually my first love. Um, I fell in love with baseball at a young age, and that got my competitive um, juices flowing. And since that since that day, I've just been an athlete, and that trans, uh, transitioned into basketball around uh, seven years old, second grade. Um, and then so shortly after that, I think third or fourth grade, I, I started playing football. Um, so by the time I was in third grade, fourth grade, I was playing three, uh, three sports year round. Here in the County, you were known as the basketball player. Mm -hmm. However, I just listened to a podcast recently with Tracy McGrady and Tracy McGrady said that, and everyone knows he's the, one of the greatest all time basketball scorers, but he said his best sport was baseball. He said baseball was actually easier. Even though you were, you're, you're a basketball player, everybody knows you as that. What do you think was basketball your best sport? Or you think you could you were better at something else? Uh, skill wise, uh, basketball was probably my my best sport. Um, however, I had a lot of opportunities to play football. Um, I had scholarship offers in football um, and chose to stick with basketball. Um, baseball too. Um, growing up, I was pretty much all star baseball. Um, Every year up until about eighth grade, until I just, you know, decided to focus on football and basketball. Was there a specific reason for sticking to basketball? Uh, to be honest, basketball, I played more basketball because basketball was really transitioning to year round where there was no breaks. Mm. Um, so a lot of my basketball playing would cut into baseball season. So it was at the point where, you know, I didn't want to be half halfway in and halfway out in baseball because I would go to half the baseball games, half the practices. Um, so then I, and, but I would always make all the basketball stuff. So I was like, okay, let's fully dedicate to basketball and, uh, say goodbye to baseball. I still miss baseball, man. So you, you, you didn't play high school, huh? High school baseball. Yeah. Nah. Nah. Yeah. Um, growing up for people who are not from Ventura County, your last name Pinkard mm -hmm. carries a very, very, uh, well-known name here, uh, to some, it could be a lot of pressure, you know, because, mm -hmm. you know, your dad's an OG here. You have your brother who USC grad, you know, you got yourself like and then you have was it your I'm going to probably mess up. Was it your grandmother or your grandfather who was the mayor? Oh, so my grandfather was um, the city council city council for a long time. And then towards the end of his tenure, my grandmother actually became city councilwoman um, as he was on his way out of that position. Um, so really heavy in the local politics for, for a couple of decades. So with that being said, playing hoops, especially in high school, um, and, and you being known, you know, you going into high school and already being like, like kind of like stapled is like, Hey, you're a pinker. Mm -hmm. you, you, you have to be the best or bust. Uh, how was that for you? How was, how was your mindset? Were you ready for that? Were you uh, mature enough for that? Uh, I definitely felt like I was mature enough, but it did come with a lot of pressure at the time when I entered high school. Um, my grandfather was still city councilman. Um, and Josh was 
he had just won a national championship at USC. So for the people who don't know Josh, explain a little more about him. Uh, Josh, Josh Pinkert, my, my brother, cousin, we grew up, we grew up together. So we, you know, we're looked up as, um, brothers, but we're cousins. Um, we couldn't be any closer. We shared a room. We, you know, did all the sibling stuff, the, the, the video games, the, the neighborhood stuff, the, you know, bickering back and forth. Um, but he was able to, uh, you know, earn a scholarship for football, USC, um, he, he played there. He won national championships, Rose Bowls, just the Reggie Bush era, that whole era, um, and then was able to have an opportunity to play for the Seattle Seahawks. Nice. Did you take a lot of stuff like Reggie Bush and Lindell White? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I cannot confirm or deny. <laughs> um so yeah, now so you have, like you said, you have your cousin who's playing USC, and then you got yourself who is entering high school, right? Or you were about a sophomore? Uh, yeah, so um, so my freshman year in high school was his senior year. Um, and were you varsity or were you JV? Which year? Freshman. So I actually came, my freshman year is funny because uh, I played freshman uh, soft rush basketball. My freshman year, um, the coach at the time said that they needed a leader mm. on the young, on the lower <laughs> levels. Yeah. Um, so I took that personal. <laughs> <laughs> so then I just went on to just terrorize and just score as many points as I could. Nice. <laughs> Did you get moved up to varsity as a, as a freshman? So as a freshman, when we went to uh, the varsity, went to playoffs, they asked me if I wanted to move up to varsity, mm -hmm. but varsity was so stacked my freshman year. I knew that I was just going to ride the bench. So, I mean, looking back, I probably should have just sat there and just, you know, been part of the team, but I uh, respectfully declined. You're True. like, they need a leader. Yeah, they need a leader. <laughs> <laughs> right. Back then, they didn't want me. Um, now you're hot. They all want you. <laughs> Mike Jones. <laughs> your, 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 your freshman year, and we talked about this on the podcast last year. Um, freshman year, you were kind of, you know, getting your feet wet. You were doing your thing. And then you always had, like, upperclassmen. And mm -hmm. then I think it wasn't until your sophomore year you actually started getting some playing time. Mm -hmm. And then when did you have, like, your breakout, your breakout year? Um, it was probably my junior year is when I really started to come, come into my own as a, you know, a basketball player and a, you know, my own identity in the County. Um, I believe my junior year, I ended up, uh, on the all County team. Um, as a junior, we won, uh, we went to the playoffs. I think we tied for second place my junior year. Um, and it was a pretty solid year and I had a bunch of upperclassmen on my team and to be able to be looked upon as a leader of that group. Um, it was, it was, a, that was probably the year I would say that, you know, I started to come onto the scene. So for some of your athletes that are going to either be listening or watching or people want to like hear your story, when you got to that junior year and you had your breakout year, what were you doing during the off season? Were you just one day you just grew and, <laughs> and were able to hoop or did you started training on the side or what exactly what went on? Um, so from my sophomore year to my junior year, my sophomore year, I, I came off the bench, um, and I, I still contributed, but at that time I was still kind of undersized. I was like five, nine, five, ten at that point, my sophomore year, I believe I was five, ten, and my, uh, I could shoot the basketball, but however, my mechanics were a little off. They were, um, I shot from a low, a low shooting point. Um, so then from my sophomore year to my junior year, my dad actually, um, 
got me with a trainer. Um, uh, and at the time, it was a guy by the name of Sean Tarver. Um, if you guys know, his, uh, he's a, he was a superstar at Santa Clara High School and then went on to play at UCLA. So um, he actually sparked, you know, a whole different fire within me that there was more basketball to be learned. Because at that point, I just learned basketball from watching Allen Iverson and and you know Michael Jordan yeah. and like all the players. We I just would look learn a move. I mean, I would watch a move and go outside and practice it all day until I until I perf- perfected it. But not until I met um, you know Sean Tarver was when I was like, oh. There's a different layer to this 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 game, like it was more just uh, I guess more the fundamentals. Well, the fundamentals. He 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 uh, basically broke down my shot and uh, fixed some things mechanically to give me a higher release point. Um, so when I'm playing against players, I can act when I shoot a jump shot in the air, I can get it over like a contested hand, and like if someone jumps when I jump, I can still get my shot over the top of them. Um, he taught me footwork stuff to be able to get get to my spots and be able to basically get my shot off against uh, defense, like actual. Mm-hmm. He was teaching me things um, that he learned at, like, the next level. So I really soaked up all that that information and, and utilized it my junior year, but my shot was still kind of new. Um, but then once my senior year came, it was it – was, It was a wrap? It was a wrap. <laughs> <laughs> you bring up uh... – and we talked about on the on the past podcast. You bring up uh, Allen Iverson. Yep. You know, and and again for the uh, players, kids who are going to be listening or watching this, we didn't have YouTube. You know, we had uh, VHSs, DVDs. If we got lucky, we'd watch uh, top ten plays on ESPN. But for you, it was always Allen Iverson, Allen mm-hmm. Iverson, Allen Iverson. To the way you. To the way you played, to the way you hooped, to the way you dressed, to the way I remember you had your braids. <laughs> what exactly was Iverson to you? Uh, he was everything. It was he was he was like a, a superhero, and he, I think I, I touched on this uh, a little on the last podcast. But you know, you look at Michael Jordan, you look at Kobe, and these guys are six 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 seven, and it's like okay, they're really really good at basketball, but. It's very rare someone grows up to be six, 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 seven. But to have Allen Iverson, someone who's you know five eleven, and he's going out here and he's slaying these tall, these tall giants, and it's like, you know, it's possible for for you know anyone that puts in the work to have an opportunity to play at that level. So, and then it 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 just, I just wanted to emulate everything he did because I felt that I could play Michael Jordan one day if he can. Yeah. Um, so that was, you know, that was just the motivation. He he just, you know, everything he did. I watched all of his games that came on TV. I studied all of his moves. I can tell you every move Allen Iverson did, I, I know how to do it because I just sat there and practiced all day, all the stuff he yep. did. Let's talk about the 40-point uh, 40 40 week, you know, because uh, it was in your <coughs> senior year. You had multiple 40-point games in a week. <sighs> yeah, it was it – was, I believe it went, I had 40 points, 39 points, then 42 points all in the same week in a like a five or six day span. When you tell your uh, your players this, do they believe you or they think you're just blowing smoke? It's funny because, you know, we're getting so, so old now. I'm not so old, but like a lot of the players that I coach are trained. They have no idea 
what I did on the basketball court. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm uh, sure because I'm sure they're, they're if you tell them, yeah, look, look, like check out my newspaper article, they're gonna be like, what the fuck is that? You know, they don't know what an article, a new picture, newspaper article is. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's uh yeah. So you know, I feel I feel I should you know have a a day where I sit the players down and watch some film. <laughs> <laughs> um, high school. You had a great you had a great uh, career. What was the plan after high school? Were you getting highly recruited? Uh, what were you thinking? Uh, high school, I was I was getting recruited, but not to the point where I wanted to, you know, accept any of the the interest I was getting from the other schools. It was a lot of um, at the time it was NAIA D two schools. Um, so I, I felt that you know going the the JUCO route would give me a a better opportunity to you know the the ultimate goal was always to play division one um so i i went the juco route to to pursue that for people who <clears throat> you know grow who who think like d1 or nothing d1 or nothing you know scholarship or nothing you having a junior college experience what did you learn from that and how did it benefit you when you uh when you decided to take your talents to the next level um, junior college, it, it taught me a lot. Um, and for, for the people that don't know, I went to Ventura college and at the time Ventura college was probably a top four, mm-hmm. um, junior college to, to be at in the state, not the state, probably the country. Um, we would get, we would get people from New York, Florida, China, um, LA, all over the United States. And I went from, you know, being one of the, you know, the top players, you know, in high school in, in our area to having to compete with players from all over the, you know, the country. And, and it wasn't just, um, you know, everyone thinks of Juco where it's like, Oh, you know, they weren't good enough to, to play at the next level. No. Like when we were playing Juco, it was like a Duke bounce back Mm -hmm. or like a bounce back from, Florida State or North Carolina, like we were getting legit bounce backs in our in our conference, and we were getting um, players that you know had scholarship offers to an ACC school, but they didn't have the grades, so they went JUCO. So those are a lot of the the players that we had to compete with, and you know to earn spots at that level, it was you know it was really hard at that time, especially being local, because mm-hmm. at the time. Uh, you and I, we, we actually played together the same year. And to be recruited here from, from your own city was, I mean, it was a lottery. You know, they, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't usually allow that. So they only kept maybe five to six local players. And then everybody mm-hmm. else was everywhere all over the United States, out of the world, you know, out of the country. So yeah, yeah, it was, it was a big deal. Um, how was, how was junior college for you? Like uh, your seasons? Um, I had fun, you know, it was for anyone that's ever been to Ventura college. It's, it's one of the nicer gyms. And, um, if your team is good, it gets packed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we were playing against, I mean, playing in front of some big crowds and, uh, had some highlights, had some good games and we were winning too, which made it, made it fun. Um, so I, I had a great experience, um, at Ventura college, my two years, the, the only, you know, setback I had was when I got injured my freshman season 
was that your first injury you've had, like, uh, while playing sports? My first major injury. Every injury I had since I was, like, seven, I've played through. Mm-hmm. Every single one. So, like, to get to get to that point and not be able to walk, I was like, oh, man. Like, I didn't know how to, how to handle that. How did you? Oh, man. It was... Because uh, I feel like... I feel like there's going to be a lot of people, a lot of athletes who are going to um, connect with you w- w- with with this. You know, I recently just uh, – Derek Rose, I don't know if you saw that interview. Mm-hmm. He just did an interview that – and Derek Rose never does interviews. And he talked about how, you know, the injuries led him to depression. Or even John Wall, he had a Players Tribute article, and he talked about um, contemplating suicide. And not not saying all that, but, I mean, what what exactly were the the, the – being an all-star athlete, being well-known around the city, being the big man on campus to now all of a sudden, I remember I was on the court. Mm-hmm. I was on the court, and it happened on the sideline, right? And you just started jumping, and your, your knee locked. Yeah, my knee knocked. Uh, my knee locked in a 90-degree angle. I, I'll never forget it. We were playing. Um, it was a rival, a rivalry game. It was like we were playing against Moore Park, um, and it was sold out, sold-out crowd. And I remember I had – how how the plays went, like, I went down the court, I drove right, a defender cut me off, I threw a behind-the-back pass to, um, I believe it was Will, um, whatever, he got fouled, got free throws, and then I came back on defense, and then I went to wipe my shoes off, you know, you wipe, wipe the bottom of your shoes off, get some extra grip, and then my leg locked, and I just remember trying my, trying my hardest to limp off the court, and then the refs stopped the game, and then that, that was a wrap, um, but yeah, I couldn't move my leg. It was locked in a ninety degree angle. How long were you out for? Uh, I think my full recovery was about eight eight months. Sheesh, it's a long time. Eight eight months before I was cleared for play, and get this: the day I was cleared to play was our first practice of our new our sophomore season. So I didn't get an off season. I didn't even get to like re. I was my rehab was like on on the job rehab. Jeez, which was a good or a bad thing? Well, I, I didn't feel myself until halfway through the sophomore, like our sophomore season. Um, but I knew, like, my ment- my mentality was if I don't get out there and fight for my spot, when I do get back, I'm going to have to come off the bench mm-hmm. or I'm going to have to, like, fight for, for playing time. And I was like, you know what, I'm just going to give it my all and and try to get my starting spot back. During those eight months, what went through your mind? Mommy asking, um, can I get back on the court? I'm going to get back on the court. Why me? Um, like, you know, for the people who are going through injuries or have gone through or will go through it. Uh, a bunch. Like, you you sit there, you know, our, our freshman year, we were number four in the state. Um, we were beating a lot of the, the top teams that had a lot of guys that were getting recruited. So I knew going into the playoffs, if I did well in the playoffs, this is when this is time to, you know, to get the interest from all the college coaches. So then I we were one game away from the playoffs and then I get injured. So now I'm thinking like, I'm not going to get recruited. Um, so then, you know, the back of your mind, like, OK, I'm not going to get recruited. I'm hurt. I'm sitting here like, will I ever get back to what I was? Will I be able to jump? Will I still be able to you know, do all the moves I used to do, like all these things go through your head. Um, And at times you just have to sit there with your thoughts because, you know, life still goes on around you. 
like you you know your parents still go to work you're you're sitting there injured and all you have is you can't move your leg yeah. so you're just sitting there watching tv on your on your sidekick phone <laughs> on, <laughs> on aim on aim <laughs> talking about what's happening but but it's like you can't you know you're 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 pretty much like i i understand why when people are injured you know like it is a dark place because you feel helpless because you know if you do have a a leg injury you can't walk and like just to get from your your seat to the bathroom is like a five minute thing yeah so it's like you much rather just just sit and chill then you know always have to like get your crutches or you know put your brace on or you know i had to put every time i moved i had to put a brace on and the brace locked and then i had it was like eight velcro crow straps and it, it was it was a whole thing Jeez. and then you come on you come back and i always forget you didn't get injured your sophomore year right were no, you able to play? not the not our nope, not our sophomore year. I played. Yeah, okay. I, I start. I started the the. I started every game. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. Did you did you have another injury after that, or were you, were you straight after that? Uh, no, nah, I was I was straight the whole time um, through our our sophomore season. So, junior college, two years. You come back from being injured, have a great sophomore year. Did you end up getting recruited after that? Uh, yeah, I had a lot of interest. Um, I had a lot of interest from a lot of NAIAs and Division two schools. I did have some interest from one particular uh, Division one college. We'll get into that a little bit later. But um, I went on a recruiting trip with my my uh, my boy, our boy, uh, <laughs> Prince, Prince Abadoye. Uh, my my man's from New York. Um, but yeah, we went down to uh, Cal State Stanislaus. It was a Division two. I mean, it is a Division two school we had did the whole recruiting trip and you know we 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 both were going to go there on on scholarship um so the the day that I was going to sign my national I mean my letter of intent to go to that school the head coach got fired Mm. so then after he gets fired I'm like okay they don't have a coach I don't should I go there should I not um so you know ultimately I tried I mean I you know decided not to go there. Um, looking back on it, maybe I should have. But um, what was your? Re- I mean, what was your reasoning? Just because he didn't know you and he wasn't recruiting you. Who the the new coach? I didn't, no one knew who the new coach was going to be. Oh, okay. so it was like a period where it's like, okay, you have to sign somewhere. Um, but then I'm like, I'm not going to sign to a place, and I don't even know who the new coach is, mm-hmm. and you know, no one had any answers on who the new coach is going to be. So I was like, okay, I'm not just going to hop into a situation I don't know who's going to be there because he might come in with his own recruits yeah and then i get all the way stanislaus like seven eight hours i believe away from us yeah up north i believe something like that um so i just didn't want to get stuck out there not knowing you know your future the future so what'd you decide to do so i decided to to go to northridge cal state northridge um so i got there they had interest in me um but they didn't want to offer me a full ride so as I got, so I talked to the coaches after the Stanislaus thing fell through, they were like, okay, have you on board, on board, you know, you met, you came in academically, come on, we'll have a spot for you. If you eventually earn it, basically oh. like walk on, we'll, we'll eventually give you a scholarship. Um, so then that's how I ended up at Northridge. And I mean, I was there with you, but you didn't, you didn't hoop. How come? 
Well, I did shortly. Okay. So I did like all the preseason stuff. Um, you know, I was with the team. We were doing the off-season workouts. We were doing, you know, open run. I was meeting with the coaches and stuff. Um, and then the coach out of nowhere just, you know, brought in some out of, out of nowhere brought in a new guy. And then he basically told me it was like, "Yeah, we're bringing this guy in. You know, this is he's going to be here for the next 2 years and this is going to be the guy." And I was like, "But you told me to come here and I had a spot, but I just had to, you know, play as a walk-on and I was going to earn my, you know, scholarship at the end of this whole spill. Um, but then he got brought a guy and brought him in, in front of me. And I was like, what's going on with this? Yeah. And then, so then I had, basically had a fallout with the coach, the coach, cause he got me there, told me something and then it was different. So then I just stopped playing. Hardest decision. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Cause, I mean, because, because I could have, I could have. You know, I, I think I touched on this last po- that podcast. My pride was was like, okay, I'm done. When I could have just been like, you know what, I'll I'll uh, I'll I'll stick through it. I'll I'll figure out a way. I'll you know, go overseas, do something. Just, yeah, and then I just no, I was talking about at you know that particular time. I could have stayed on the stayed on the team. Oh, and just like continue to try to walk on and, and continue to just work and work and work and work. And then, but in the back of my mind too, it's like, I've always, you know, it's a gift and a curse. I always like see a year in advance or two years in advance where I'm thinking like, okay, I only have two seasons left. So like I, I'm a waste a whole year Yeah, I'm a, and I'm taking, I'm already enrolled in all these classes. I'm a full-time student. My clock is still ticking. I'm like, I'm a waste a full year here. And then, so like all these things are going through my mind. I'm just like, man. And I just stopped. And then just focused on focused on graduating. School, yeah. Yeah. That must have been tough, especially because you still I mean, it's it's gonna sound like cliche, but you still had so much more yeah. in the tank and all this and that. Mm-hmm. Um you end up graduating, you end up getting your degree, and did you ever think about trying to play overseas? Because even even during this time, I mean, I still play with you and you still be able to you were still hooping, still balling on actually on the Northridge guys as well. And did you ever think like, all right, I'm going to try to pursue going overseas or anything like that? I always thought about it. Um, I always do think about what it would look like had I continued to pursue basketball, Mm -hmm. like, you know, just go that route and find ways to, you know, try to get opportunities to play. Um, I do think about that often, but um, I never really – it wasn't really a goal of mine to play overseas. You know, the goal was always to play at the highest at, you know, in the NBA. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I have a ton of respect for overseas basketball players. Like I've I've worked out with them. I have friends um, I've worked with overseas players. They're the most some of the most talented players in the world, even even more so than the NBA. It's just uh, for me, I, you know, I've never wanted to kind of go that route. I feel you on that. You graduate. What did you decide? What was going to be your 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 move, your career path? Uh, so at that time, I I was studying kinesiology, um, and with all the classes that I took, you know, you you have an opportunity to be a personal trainer, a physical therapist, anything that has to do with you know human movement. Um, so from there, you know, I just went on the job hunt, just you know, type in things that you know 
kinesiology related stuff on Indeed and yeah, yeah. you know all these platforms and you know just seeing what what came up and that was what I was going to do um and so I took a I did a probably an internship for like a week uh, at a physical therapy place uh and then quickly understood that that's not what I wanted to do because um being in for me personally just being in one room all day for 8 hours yeah um, I didn't, I didn't see myself doing that long-term. So what was the next option? Calling you. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yo, Pep, man, I need a job. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I got you, man. Yeah. Apply at Casa. At Casa Pacifica in Camarillo. <laughs> it's an at-risk facility. I was there for a few years. I got you in. And then D doing what D does ends up. Branding himself there, making a name for himself, and yeah, you did your thing. You were a, a lead behavioral specialist for some years, right? And then you taught. Yeah, well, I started as a, a YDS, oh, yeah. right? As a YDS youth development specialist. Then I went to a, a I made it to BS yeah. LBS, um, but yeah, it, it, it a few years in there, a couple years there, and then I was able to have my own classroom where I was uh, teaching. <laughs> Just staying on this uh, particular time in your career, I mean, in your yeah, in your career path, what what did you learn working with uh, that type of population at that facility? Uh, I learned, I, I learned a lot of patience, and I, I learned a lot of understanding of just other, not just kids, but other people um, in general. Um, just being able to work with that population, you understand that everybody's situation is different. Where and it it could be home life, it can be the situations that is going on at their school or whatever it might be. And this is what kind of shapes the individual and shapes their behaviors. So going into working with a, a youth um, that may be going through some things, you do have a you know if they're cursing you out or throwing things at you, um, it might not even really be at you. It might be at, you know, the, the trauma that they've been through and they're just, you just happen to be in the way. Yeah. So, you know, looking at it from that lens, you know, we do our best to try to understand and try to deescalate the kid and, and really try to get them back into a, a positive space. Um, but that directly helped me in dealing with uh, bat, uh, kids in sports and also dealing with other you know, just people and adults, like understanding that parents, parents, everybody, just like being able to just interact with, with humans. Yeah. <laughs> um, it just, it just improved those skills for me. Um, you were there for, for, for some years. And then I remember you letting me know that you, you were starting to get into training, into basketball training, and you started focusing on, you were focusing on athletes, you know, professional athletes, but then you got into working with, with the youth as well. And mm -hmm. one of the first spots that I remember you telling me was that you landed at the Mamba Academy, which is now the sports Academy in, uh, thousand Oaks. Thousand Oaks. Mm -hmm. How was, how, did, how was that? Um, I think, I think it's just, you know, that, that old saying where, um, it's when, uh, preparation meets opportunity. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it was a situation where I had been training and coaching for a while with it not going anywhere. 
And then when I was at, uh, when we were at Casa Pacifica, I noticed a group of people walking around the campus and they were all in athletic gear. And they had logos on their shirt that said the Sports Academy. So then uh, I, w- I walked over there and I asked uh, Vicky, Vicky Murphy. Yeah, yeah. I was like, hey, who, who are these people? And they're like, oh, they're with the Sports Academy. It's a brand new facility in Thousand Oaks. Um, so I was able to um, connect with, uh, she was able to connect me with them um, via email. And, you know, I went back and forth and I was able to get an opportunity to, you know, be one of the trainers there. And you were there for how long? I was there from 2015 or 16, 2016. Man, I'd have to go back. Time's just flying. Yeah. Um, but um, all the way up until the pandemic. So 2020, March 2020. Then the pandemic, obviously everyone, you know, especially a lot of the... Uh facilities get shut down during the pandemic what exactly how did you stay afloat um the you know it 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 was a a, you know worldwide tragedy for sure right um so i don't want to you know be have it look like i don't want what i'm about to say you know sound insensitive but no but also too but also too everyone had their own everyone had their own like uh i don't even know what's what's to call it like like dark cloud upon him, whether it was people, first responders or whether it was Mm -hmm. trainers or whether it was artists, like everyone had their own. I don't even know what the word is. Their own, their own tragedies, Mm -hmm. you know, financially, you know, professionally, whatever the case is. Yeah. Um, the, but I don't want to come, like I said, I want to (laughs) come off insensitive, but the, the pandemic, was the best thing that happened to my business. A lot of people do say that. And it, you know, it's like, you know, it sucks kind of saying that, but it was able to, it opened up my eyes in a sense where, um, what I, what I'm able to provide was a need and it, it, it wasn't necessarily tied to a facility. It was tied to my abilities. Um, so, you know, the first week or two, everybody didn't understand it. So everyone was literally staying at home or, hanging out at home, not knowing what was next. Um, so in that time, I was able to get creative, and I started doing online workouts um, where, you know, people would, you know, jump on a, a Zoom call or I would do FaceTimes or or I would, you know, send just videos of workouts that kids can do at home. And then it got to a point where there was maybe 20, 25 kids, I want to say. I can't remember off the top of my head, but something like that on one Zoom call. And then I was like, wow, you know, there's a lot of support here. And then, you know, after t- a few weeks, the Zoom calls started getting old because we we're doing it every day. And then some of the parents were starting to um, basically get sick of their kids being inside. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> so so parents would, you know, would call and uh, and text me and like, hey, like, can you come? You know, we have a court in our house or we have a court in our backyard. We have it in our driveway or there's a park across the street. Can you just, you know come work out my kid, you know, uh, you can be social distance, you wear a mask, but just, we just want them active. And then before you know it, I've seen like 20, 25 kids in a week. And I'm like, man, this is, this is, this is really something that, you know, that I can build off of. Yeah. So that. What if, uh, during that time you as a trainer and kids, you know, you said you're saying you're, the parents were calling you, but was it 
difficult for yourself to engage with kids through the pandemic personally, because I feel like a lot of the kids during the pandemic was like, you know, iPads, tablets, video games, da, 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 da. Was it like pulling strings for you to get, um, kids to want to, want to train with you? Uh, no, it wasn't. It was, um, it was an easy transition. A lot of the, the players that I would work with were already either currently on my, my club team mm. or they have trained with me. They had, they were had ongoing training with me prior. So, you know, we have the relationship that like when I show up or when I'm there, it's strictly training, strictly coaching. And it's just that relationship that I built with these, with these, uh, players, um, so it was never there was actually I, I take that back. There was a couple couple kids where it was just there because their <laughs> their parents wanted them to be active. Yeah. Those are always the, the toughest kids. But um it was it was cool. You know, it's like any other job where it's like you have to just figure out how to, you know, still be good at your job. So you're doing your personal training, going to uh outside courts because they're during the pandemic you can't be inside. When did you decide? All right, this let's let's make this uh, let's make this a business. Let's do this like the right way, lucrative, and 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 decide to really go full force and say I'm gonna I'm gonna dive into to this and this being my my main my main income. Well, it was, I think it it actually all happened for a reason because the day my LLC was legal was March nineteenth, twenty twenty. And that was the day of the pan, the, the shutdown happened. No way. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh shoot. So, so I had no choice. <laughs> Dang. Um. So it was like, I mean, if not, you know, if not now, then never. Yeah, it's yeah. like you, you have your, you know, everything's the paperwork's all done. You have your business, um, legal. Um. So then from that point, it was, it was just okay. You have to basically build your business from the ground up. Um. Basically starting. I mean, you can't get no more bottom than you know, a pandemic yeah, where nobody's doing nothing. Um, so, yeah, that's basically when I decided that it was based on survival mode, really, because there, there was no turning back. And then I feel like during that time, as you were building, right, you mm-hmm. know, especially with social media, you start seeing like me, I was I was seeing you. One kid, two kids, four kids, six kids, and all of a sudden, before you knew it, like you started having, you know, it was nonstop, and people were watching. Um, during this time, when did you decide, or maybe I might be messing up my dates, but when did you decide to op- to start your own uh, travel ball team? And then when did Redline, where you're at now, mm-hmm. approach you? Um. So I mean. Whoever's watching this, forgive me for my my timelines because it kind of, you know, from 2020 it kind of gets it's blurry. a blur. It yeah, gets blurry. A, yeah, yeah. Um, it gets blurry. But so I first had my I started uh my first AU team, my first AU team 2018 2019 around that time, I believe. Um. So hold on, what was the what was the question? Uh, it was more so when did you start? When did you start? Um, when do you have your, your your team? And then second off, when did Redline approach you? And the reason why I brought that up was because, like you said, March nineteenth, twenty twenty, is when the pandemic, you yeah. know, had you starting from scratch. But then your like your discipline and staying staying active with the kids and putting it on social media created this buzz, mm-hmm. you know. And so, when did 
I guess in the sense, like when did you feel that people started noticing you and then red line took an interest and your, your, your travel ball team? Um, I feel like it, it was just, it wasn't, I mean, it could probably from the outside looking in, it probably felt like all at once. Um, but I do feel like it's, you know, just a series of relationships that I've built since, you know, 2015, 2014, like small relationships that, you know, just so happen to all come into fruition around the same time. Um, because I, you know, I, I was coaching club in 2014, a little bit, then I coached it a little bit in 2016. Then I, then I really started to coach it again for myself in 2018. And it's been ongoing since then until now. So 2018, the to now 2022 um however what i i do feel that you know there's been different opportunities where people have been able to to experience you know the the training that i've done or coaching that i i do and it just was a it was a time and place where i did some training at, at redline um and i was renting gym space from them and exactly what is Redline, though, too, for people who don't know. So uh, Redline is a, a sports performance uh, facility that um, is geared towards all sports. Um, so they have, uh, you know, a state of the art weight room. They have, you know, a turf for agility training. They have all the weights, all the cones, they have um, uh, a bunch of equipment for you to jump higher, run faster, everything you need to, you know, be a top tier athlete. And then also they have a basketball court in there. Um, so what ended up happening was I, I was renting um, some court space from uh, from Redline. Uh, this is how it started. And I was renting court space a few times a week, three or four times a week, I, I think it was. Um, I might be off a day or two. But I was getting kids to come in, come in, come in, come in. Whether it was one kid or like four kids or eight kids, we were renting gym space. So then um, – you know, after a while, you know, I, I met with the owners at Redline. They're like, hey, like we see that you, you, you know, you have some kids that, that keep that constantly come in here. And, you know, we have a basketball court here. Um, so what are your thoughts on, you know, maybe helping us develop a basketball program? I was like, you know what? I, w- I would love to, you know, I, I love the facility. You know, you guys have always, you know, been good to me by allowing me to use your guys' facility. Um, I'm for, forever grateful for that. Um, so I was like, yeah, let's, let's do it. Let, let's, let's see where this thing goes. Um, and it, it's funny that, you know, we did this podcast and you said a year ago, right? So it's actually been a year um, at Redline as the basketball director as well. I think, I think you had like, and I got to go back to it. I don't know if you... We're saying you had something in the works of Redline, or maybe you had just started. I, yeah, it's yeah, around. It's it was, around the same. It's yeah. around the same time. Um, so couple- it's just yeah, it's just I think barely over a year. Um, if I my memory start, it's like September first. For I, you know, my memory. And, and how's is the uh, and speaking of how, how's that partnership been? So it went from them reaching out saying, "Hey, you you want to like oversee the program?" To what is the program now? Uh, man, it's fantastic. Uh, so in that short, in that short year, we've been able to develop a full basketball program. Um, so our basketball program starts from five years old, all the way up to senior in high school. 
So we we have groups for what we call, you know, our, our little ballers, um, five to seven years old, where you can just come and learn mm-hmm. the fundamentals, the basics. We They play on a little hoop. Um, and also, too, we actually put them in leagues and games and tournaments as well. Um, so that's one part of the program. And then we also have, you know, our program for um, everyone else, which is from eight years old to basically 18 years mm-hmm. old for all levels Uh you know, we got beginner players, intermediate level players, and then we do have our like top tier players, like varsity and college level players. And then I've, I've noticed you got, you actually do have some guys that like will play, whether it's like a semi pro or overseas, mm-hmm. and they come and they train over there as well. Yep, we we have a, a couple of we've had you know our share of you know overseas players come and use our facilities, um, and train with us. We've had college players as well, um, so it's, it's been a, a great experience. Redline, any year has been a success. And then uh, you also have your travel ball team. Mm-hmm. Um, Juan, you were talking about it off the air. Yeah, the travel ball team called Rage. Yep, Rage Elite. When, when did you start that? Uh, it started, I believe, 2018. I just have to look at the, the dates. And and how has it changed from then to now? Um, It's, it's changed a whole lot. Um, you know, back when we started it, we, it was literally like two kids that wanted to well one kid and then it turned to two kids that wa- that wanted to play on a travel basketball team um their previous experience wasn't that great um so i was approached um by some parents to start uh, a club basketball team um so that's kind of where it started and we've just been slowly uh but surely building that since then so where is it at now? Um, so we have, so we have about I think we have six teams now. Six, six. six. So at six times five, at least just five. That's at least thirty players minimum. Well, around fifty, fifty or Jeez. sixty, fifty or sixty players so from two to fifty kids in a matter of pretty much four years. Yeah, well, got robbed for two years. So even with the pandemic, you still multiplied. Yeah, well, the the cool thing about it is during the pandemic, like, you know, I had the fo- the foresight to understand that, like, these kids needed to be active. And I'm not saying this is the most legal thing, but I found somebody <laughs> uh, that had a private private gym, and I was able to, you know, have some of the kids still remain active um, by playing in this gym. You know, a lot of people that we've had, especially in the past couple of weeks, and um, in the in the training, athlete, fitness world, they all kind of say the same thing on, you know, like, it wasn't, you know, during the pandemic, you know, uh, it was illegal or it was frowned upon or the city could, like, uh, could, could shut it down. But, I mean, personally for me, it was like, it's either – break the break the rules mm-hmm. and have kids train or who knows what could have happened man obesity yep. suicide mm-hmm. um god knows what man and it's like i feel like and again i, I know like this could be like a uh an argument but it's like wouldn't you rather have people be breaking the law so that people can be healthy you know what i mean it was it was just crazy. I feel like during that time, a lot of people were just trying to figure out their life. Yeah, like what to do. It was it was hard staying inside all day. 
It was, and I think the people, I think people such as yourself, and even uh, we had a guy, we had we had a another local, Jared Wilson, who was on here earlier uh, a couple weeks ago, and he had said the same thing. He's like, man, we had like we had like secret, secret uh, workouts. Mm-hmm. Me, you know, uh, we had secret jujitsu locations, whether it's to people's houses or or certain uh, academies that were open. You had your secret places as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Anyways, I just wanted to throw my opinion out there. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so you you were still training your team on the low mm-hmm. with parental consent. Yep. And they stayed with you during this whole time. Yeah. So there was a honestly, there was a couple kids that were on, you know, that during that time period that con- that played basketball during during, you know, the what we call the shutdown, sure. shutdown months or whatever. And a lot of those kids lost weight. A lot of those kids, it was their eighth grade year. So it was like, you know, I tell the parents all the time, like if your kid is in my program, I want them to be ready to play on a varsity team by the time they get to high school. But I'm not saying that they're going to be, but you know, they have all the fundamentals and all the basics and they understand offense, defense, all these little things that you learn yep. at the varsity level. So, you know, a couple kids also, from that team had opportunities to play some time on varsity as freshmen. And I don't think that without playing their eighth grade year, they wouldn't have had that same opportunity. You know, at, at in 2022, right. With, with rage, what, um, what do you think the future holds with, with these kids? Do you have, have you, have you had a graduating class yet? Uh, no, not yet. Um, I believe our, the first, uh, class of kids is going to be this year. And I mean, without saying names, do you have high hopes for some of these players? Yeah, um, I do. I, I feel that some of the, the rage players that are now seniors, they're, they're going to have breakout years within their, you know, their, their conference or their County. And, you know, some of them been flying under the radar, but I, I know that they'll excel this year for sure. Why do you think, cause I know AAU ball, especially from when we played, to where it where it is now, and luckily for you, for some years when we played AAU ball, it was it was paid for. Mm-hmm. Um, we had sponsors and whatever whatever other stuff. But now I feel like with all these amazing jerseys, amazing shoes, uh, from what I see online, if you don't have your own videographer, so like <laughs> I feel like these this costs thousands and thousands of dollars for parents. Uh, why do you think that they come to you? What do you like? Like, I guess what it is is like, what do you bring that that make parents want to be with Rage and with Coach Pinkard? Um, I think it's all subjective and it's all different. Um, you know, parents have their their all not all different reasons, but you know, some some parents come to me like, hey, like I want my kid to be prepared for high school, and I understand that you know your program is you know one of the best programs that provide that. And we just really want you to – we don't care about the wins and losses. We just want to make sure he's good for high school. Boom. Then you get you get parents like that. And then, you know, the parents that just want to win, they're the ones that hop around from team to team where it's like, okay, you did bad in a ter- one tournament, and then on Monday they're at a new squad because they're like – you know, they, they're they not thinking the long term. Yeah. Um, so I think, uh, you know, a lot of parents, you know, see the value of what my program has to offer. Um, and then – the biggest 
thing for me is that parent then tells another parent like, hey, my kid, you know, when he started in sixth grade, he was scoring two points or three points a game. Now he's an eighth grader and he's had a 40 point game. And now he's a ninth grader and he's on varsity. Like things like that are, is why I feel that parents come to, to rage to play. I also feel like this is just me being biased because of the person that you've grown up to be. Cause I've literally been with you every step of the way since you were like 14 to now. How cool is it seeing um, young kids turn into young teenagers, then turn into like young adults, man. And knowing that you made an impact. It honestly, it, it means the, it means the world to me. It's like, I spent a lot of hours in the gym. I spent a lot of hours uh, at tournaments, a lot of hours training, a lot of hours with the, you know, with these athletes. So, you know, when an athlete does, you know, what they call come under my wing or, or so to speak, and then I do see them grow up right in front of my eyes and then get opportunities. Um, and, I, and, and I said, I said, uh, uh, young man, but you, you coach men and women. Oh yeah. 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 So, so you see, you see it all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I see all, you know, all aspects of it. Um, but I, it do, I do get joy out of, you know, seeing a kid that's put in the work and has trusted me with their development process. And then they go and they shine and they shine bright. It, it, you know, it's fulfilling for me. Yeah. So what, uh, is it, is it season right now? What's going on with, with, with rage with your, uh, with AAU ball? Um, so we're kind of in season right now. So the, the, you know, fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh and eighth grade, um, they're all, they all have the ability to play right now. High school basketball is starting. So our high school teams aren't able to compete right now. Um, but we're still pretty active with our lower level teams. Now, if I was a young kid trying to be on the team. How would I get noticed by... By you guys, um, typically, typically playing against us in games is where you know the players really get noticed. We don't normally have that many tryouts. Normally, we when we choose a team, it's the team, mm -hmm. and then we we built we want to maintain that team for the duration of like we hope to retain that team. So it just they can just develop and develop and develop. So we don't really have that many tryouts um however we do have you know players that inquire and parents who inquire so you know if we need an extra player we'll you know maybe have like a separate tryout mm -hmm. um but we we typically don't do you know mass tryouts all the time i like it going forward now with with like the fun questions right mm -hmm. um is it harder now aau basketball or when we were kids aau basketball uh, it's, it's harder now. Um, there's just, it's just so watered down and diluted where it's like, there's so many teams and there's so many, uh, sub there's like so many branches of teams where it's like one, one club program can have 65 teams and it's like, you know, there's no, like, uh, quality in the programs anymore. Of course, there are, you know, your top dogs. But, like, for the most part, it's it's not, like, when we were playing AU, it was, like, there was, like, five teams that you wanted to, 
that had all the players yeah. or had all the sneaker contracts or had all these things. And now it's like everybody. And then you have the kids that play for multiple clubs and all this. It's just like a, and social media. That was my next question is, is a big part of today's, um, I guess what's the word I'm trying to say. Can social media change the perspective on how an athlete really looks versus until you see him? Like, for instance, like right now, uh, and I'm I'm kind of into it, kind of, but like Mikey, Mikey, the mm-hmm. the, the he's a yeah, sophomore Mike now Williams. or junior, yeah. Mikey Williams. Does social media make him look that good, or is he that good? But also, too, with that being said, like, can a video on a regular kid make him look that much better? And then you go and see him, like, can 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 their lottery go up? Yeah, social media can definitely be deceiving. I'm not saying Mikey Williams is deceiving at night. He's a really good player. Yeah. I've had opportunity to see him in person. Um, and, you know, I don't want to say anything to take anything yeah. away from the work he's put in. Um, but there are some, you know, parents and kids where, you know, they'll they'll send a camera crew, right, to a kid's game and give a kid a highlight tape. And the kid might have had 12 points the entire weekend out of four games and they'll chop up a highlight tape and then post it and get like thousands of views and reels. And it's like, that's not reality. Like he had 12 points in a four game span. Yeah. It's like, that's not highlight worthy. Like I'm from the era where, and we're from the era where like you had to be really, really good to get a highlight tape or you had to be really, really good to get on on the internet or in the newspaper. Like you actually had to, do something really, really good that warranted a camera crew or highlights tape to be made to get on like ball is life. Yeah. Like it's now it's like a kid will have three good plays in a row. And then he has 10,000 views, 20,000 views on Instagram. And then now you, then you go watch the kid in person and he, he can't play. And it's, it's just, it's, it's crazy times with this social media era. Do you think it's more uh, detrimental, detrimental or beneficial? It's beneficial if what I'm seeing is actual is true. Yeah. Like if I see a kid killing on Instagram and then I see him in person, he's killing and like the college coaches see him killing it. It's, you know, it's beneficial. But then like if a kid has all these views and then like all this hype and then someone goes sees him, it can negative negatively impact him because he can't live up to that expectation. And then how do you cope with that as a kid, a 13 year old kid, a 14 year old kid, like, how do you cope with that when you're not living up to what your Instagram is portraying you to be? What is what is your thoughts on athletes now getting paid while they're, I guess, while they're in high school, right? Aren't, aren't they getting paid now in high school? You can. Yeah. What's your thoughts on it? Good, bad, um, as a coach? I feel like there is the pot there's positives and there's 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 negatives. It's like these big companies are able to to make money off of a kid. Like, why can't the kid make the money off his own name or her own name and their own likeness? Um, And, you know, there's examples of we can use, you know, people that we grew up with that had that sold out entire football stadiums like, you know, I don't. Oh, bring it on. Oh, my uh, my 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 main man, Whitney, Whitney Whitney Lewis. Lewis, the GOAT. Yep. Like to sell out Larrabee Stadium and then have both both sides of the field like 
packed with people, five, ten dollars a pop with thousands of people in the stands. It's like and this was they're two, coming to see him. And this was two thousand and what? Three, probably two thousand two. Well, I mean before I mean the list goes on. Yeah, before yeah. him, uh Booker, before him, Ebel, yeah, before him, Kerry Colbert. Like all these names that have like these stands filled out and like all this money getting generated and you know, like just thinking how it would have been cool if they, you know, but then how do you break them up amongst, amongst the teams and stuff? Yeah. So it, get, it gets tricky, but, like, yeah, if people can get paid off of the player, the player should be able to get paid, too. So going off of what we were talking about earlier, and now that high school kids and people who are getting – they're finally getting paid for their likeness, and we're talking yeah. about uh, former athletes that even just in our region, you know, the, the Whitney Lewis's, Lorenzo Booker's, uh, the Josh Pinkers, everybody could have got paid – while they were in high school. Mm-hmm. But now my question is, is if you have a high school player, let's just say top 10 prospect in, 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 in the world. Right. And they're making more money than you. Mm-hmm. How would you handle that as a coach? I think so. When I, when I coach players and on, players on my team, it's kind of a culture that I built where everyone's selfless, like, and everybody treats each other with respect. So if it ever gets to a, a point where I feel that, you know, I don't have the respect of my players and they can no longer play, play for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't see, I don't think any of the players that I have that are super talented, if they got an opportunity to, you know, make some money or, you know, get all these perks or whatever, I don't think they would treat me any differently. Um, I just feel that my relationship is stronger than what they're, you know, th- what they're getting. But, you know, if it does get to that, I don't have any, you know, problem just at, you know, saying the player can play elsewhere. Yeah. I don't, I don't, like, I can't have, you know, that being a coach, you must be respected. You see it all the time in the NBA ranks where these players are making $40 million and they're just not, they're not listening to the coach. Exactly. So it's like, I can't coach if the players don't listen, like, period. And, you know, I'd rather not coach if it ever got to that point. What a... With you coaching and you, you know, you, you coach in travel ball and doing personal training, like what, what is the, uh, what is the end goal? What it, what, what is, uh, the next five years look like for you? The next 10 years, uh, in your career. So I, I feel that, you know, it's all leading to one day just having my own gym, my own facility where I can, you know, do the things that I love and, you know, still, you know, train basketball and coach basketball and then have, you know, just an entire community um, within this facility and really start to, you know, leave my stamp on, you know, this area. Um, So that, that's, that's the ultimate goal to get my own space like one day. And would it, would it be, would it be auction? Would it be Ventura? Would it be over the grade? Where where would you ideally? Um, I haven't, you know, I haven't fully decided um, but I do want it, you know, locally in the area. So it can be any one of those locations, any one of those cities, um, as long as it's, you know, within, you know, our community, I would say, you know, the, the Santa Paula's, the Oxnard's, the Ventura's, the Camarillo's, um, you know, just that pretty much juncture. Of course, you know, you want people from all over to come, but like just a, a you know, a location for, you know, for that you know, that group. Yeah. That, 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 that area. Rapid fire questions. All right, here we go. Right now when you're working out, number one, uh, artist you're listening to. 
Ooh, right now? Uh, what was I, I? Today I was listening to Benny the Butcher. Oh, in the morning. All right. I see you with the Larry Larry June uh merch. Hey, hey. hey. <laughs> <laughs> um, right now, uh, best basketball hoop or best basketball shoe to play with. Oh, right now I like playing in my uh my Kyrie's. Okay. Um LeBron James, still the best player in the NBA or not? See, you would bring me on here to ask me. This <laughs> <laughs> man, I'm I'm riding I'm riding with LeBron, man, until until the wheels fall off. And then after that, who's next? Hey man, I really dig John Morant right now. I, I was gonna say I love uh, John Morant. He, he's like a, a cross between Allen Iverson and Vince Carter and one player. It's like that elusiveness and then the the, the hops and the excitement, man. He's 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 fun to watch. I'm gonna start some controversy. Is any anybody on your team who actually is actually listening or or watching this? Is anybody that's on your team right now? Could they give you buckets at your prime? No. Never. They can't give me buckets now. Damn. <laughs> nope. <laughs> um, other than you, best basketball player, best basketball player to come out of Ventura County. Ooh. Ventura County basketball. Oh, we got to go with James. James. James Dennis. Dennis. Yeah, we got to. That's my dog. Um, not saying. Josh Pinkard, best football player to come out of Ventura County. Football? Football. That I've seen? That you've seen. Whitney. Whitney mm-hmm. Lewis. Um, and finally, um, right now, if you could name a, and I asked you, I think last year too, a movie to your, uh, uh, if you could name, if you could have a movie title to your life, what would it be? A movie title, huh? Man. You should have given me some time to think about this one. Uh, okay, I, I can't. I we'll, can't. We'll, I can't think. We'll come. We'll think. come. We'll come back to it because we we yeah. have our, we have our final questions. Okay, Juan, you can ask one of them, then I'll ask another one, then we'll go from there. Um, this is usually the last one, but this is the only one I can remember right now. Actually, no, 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 no. Um, going back to that that time where you had your injury. Mm-hmm. Your first injury where you really felt at your lowest mm-hmm. and you weren't sure where your life was going to go. What would you tell that version of D? Um, to stay patient, stay positive. Um, trust your process, whatever process that might have been. Um, just keeping an optimistic mindset and understanding that, you know, I would just have to work two or three times as hard to to you know, get to the goal versus, you know, just working hard, but like work even harder and harder to overcome whatever, you know, doubt or, you know, just putting myself in a better situation by mentally locking in more um, and having a positive outlook on, you know, moving forward, moving past that. What piece of advice would you give to somebody who wants to pursue, um, Coaching, who wants to pursue being a, a a developer, a trainer, what would you, what piece of advice would you give them? Uh, my advice would be if you want to pursue coaching or you want to pursue training, make sure your your heart's in it a hundred percent. Because it, if 
if your heart's not in it, training or coaching, you do the, the kids a disservice. Um, so I think it's, you have to, you know, look in the mirror and see, ask yourself, am I doing this for the right reasons? Am I doing this for the kids or like, what, what is your why on coaching? Um, so I feel like if you can answer those questions and you're, you know, you're going to stick with it too. Um, and don't have a coach that's here for a year and then gone or like, he trains you for two months and you don't hear from him. It's like, you know, I know for for myself, I'm going to be doing this for a long time. So, like, when a player commits uh, to working with me, I, I think about the long haul. Like, I got kids sixth, seventh grade. I'm already thinking about their developmental plan for sophomore and junior year. Like, it's already written, like, the plan. Yeah. Um. So, I would just say, you know, for aspiring coaches and people and trainers to just make sure that, you know, you're doing it and for the right reasons and you, you know, you're putting the necessary time. Um, and it's for, it's for the athletes. This is a two part question. Uh, D Pinkard as a coach was a blank, blank, blank. D Pinkard as a coach was a, mm-hmm. was a fair, strict, but loving coach. D Pinkard as a as a human, as a friend, as a partner, as a who knows you're gonna have kids, as a overall whatever, he was a blank, blank, blank. Selfless, understanding, and the accountability police. <laughs> I will police that accountability. I love it. Uh D it's been a year. Uh you've 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 definitely leveled up, man. You leveled up and um we appreciate you being on the podcast. Thank you. Wish uh, so next year at this time we'll be back. Hey hopefully by next year we'll be back in a uh bigger studio. Uh yeah. who knows who knows? Who knows, man? You know, uh a year have a gym by then. Yeah. But in the universe, exactly. A year ago to now, man, we've all leveled up. So it's been, it's been, it's been great. Uh, Juan, any last words? No, sir. Uh, everybody, thank you for tuning in, watching, listening, subscribing. Uh, if you guys are around, oh, before we end, Mister D, where can everybody find you and your 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 team? Um, so everyone can find me uh, on Instagram at I Train with D. Um, pretty straightforward. Or you can follow my AU club at Rage Elite Basketball. Um, also, too, we're having tryouts November 15th. Let's go. Bam. Uh, so if you have any information, hit me up on either one of those platforms, and I'll get back to you um, as soon as I can. Appreciate that. Uh, yeah, we'll put all the links uh, below on our on our YouTube, and I'll make sure I'll add it onto my Instagram Everybody, thank you for tuning in. Thank you to our sponsors, Persistence Culture Media. Thank you to Big Dogs Only. Go buy some merch. The holidays are coming. Support the boys. And, of course, uh, go tell a friend about how dope this podcast is. We love you guys. Peace. <laughs>